10 character traits of Christ. We've covered com his compassion, his servant, hood, his loving nature, his forgiving nature, uh, the fact that he's committed, he's patient, exercises self-control, um, and he's humble. We've also talked about um, what the basics of having a safe relationship with this handout, which I think most of you guys got. And if you didn't, I ha have some at the table. Um, but on the back of it, we also gave you some references for character traits of unsafe people, actually behaviors that unsafe people participate in. But today, we're at session 11, and we're going to talk about being emotionally mature, at least beginning that journey to be emotionally mature. Um, I'd like to refer you guys to Matthew 5, verse 8, which is one of the Beatitudes. Um, and it reads, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In God's Word translation of the Bible, it says, Blessed are those whose thoughts are pure, they will see God. And I was asking the Lord, what does that mean, they will see God? Those, who are, those whose thoughts are pure, what does that mean? So, of course, I had to look it up. And in the King James, um, heart is defined as thoughts or feelings. So here we have this reference that what collects in our hearts has a potential to affect our ability to experience God, to see God. What we allow, the rocks we gather and keep in our hearts will actually keep us from seeing God and experiencing Him. Our hearts are considered, our hearts are considered pure when we are offering thoughts and feelings no matter what they are, what they're about, consistently to the Lord, just kind of putting them out there. Not allowing shame to block us from sharing with the Lord, not allowing any obstacle, not allowing culture or community to keep us from being anything but frank with Jesus. Um, for us to improve our own personal ability to be safe, because let's face it, We've been talking about safety in relationships. The only people we have power over is us. We don't have power over another person. We're called to be the best person that God created us to be. He didn't call us to be somebody else, and he didn't call us to fix somebody else. So for us to improve our own personal ability to be safe, we need to know what's going on with us. But as we've talked about many times, most of us, living in today's culture, I don't care what part of the world you live in, for the most part, um, there are a few places. And if you spend a lot of time watching HGTV, HGTV will have you believe that if you go through Quito, if you go to Hawaii, if you find a place at Myrtle Beach, you will now slow down. Well, that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true. It could be. But it really depends on, first of all, what you think and how you organize and structure your life. But in our pace that we live in today, it's pretty challenging for most of us to spend good quality time with the Lord. We all know Jesus was like constantly getting up, going off someplace and praying, and then coming back and being with people, right? And most of us, our daily schedules don't allow for us to um, to go hide off somewhere um, and and stay in prayer and commune with the Lord, and then you know come back and be with people. We have to get to work. Most of us live in this place called a bedroom community. We commute. Um, we have things to do, kids to get to school dishes to wash. Thank goodness for automatic dishwashers. <laughs> That's an improvement in time, but that doesn't mean that you still don't have loads and loads and loads of things to do. So um, recognizing that 
we have a challenge. The harried life that we live leaves us with little energy or time for us to commune with the Holy Spirit to be able to figure out what's going on with us. So um, this is important. Being a safe person, rather learning to be safe, also requires us to be aware of what is going on. We may practice regular spiritual disciplines, right? We read our Bibles, we come to church, we go to Sunday school class, we go to a small group, we can do all that, but yet not have any clue that we treat our relationship with God and with others as if it was a thing, a thing to do, something to check off on a list. God isn't it, not a person. Um, the people that I'm with are not people that I need to be concerned with or engaged with. They're just things. And my responsibility is to, oh, hi, Elaine, how are you? And then keep going. Don't, not, don't wait for an answer. Just keep going, right? My responsibility is to acknowledge, you know, this person. But beyond that, I have no responsibility. Should she happen to call my phone number? and say, hey, Leona, I need to talk, I need to pray. I'm like, uh, right? Because I have not made the connection with the fact that she's more than an it. She is somebody who has value. You are somebody who has value. You are somebody who has value. And I'm not supposed to treat you like you're just, oh, oh, it's just somebody I go to class with. You know, I see them regularly on Sundays. I know what's going on with them just because I see your face, right? Yes, please. Years ago, I was at work and going through a lot and no one knew. Mm-hmm. And then this one guy said, good morning, Elaine, how are you? And I'm like, fine. And then he just took time and said, how are you doing? and looked at me in my eye, and I just broke down, you know. And it was a defining moment in my life, because like you said, we just go by, hey, how you doing, and keep walking, you know, but do you really want to know how I'm doing? And that person really wanted to know, and I needed to release somewhere, because I couldn't, you know, so he asked, the floodgates just open, you know, so I think that's important. Yeah. And God does that for us, because at different times, we may be in safe relationships, but the timing is off, right? It's it's not, we're not in a time and space where I can unburden to Renee because she's safe for me, right? Because of either what's going on in my schedule, what's going on in her schedule, what's going on in her life or what's going on in my life. And then that person just comes along. I, I met a lady here. I didn't really meet her. I'd known her. But all of a sudden, I work with her husband. All of a sudden, one day she said something, and before I knew it, I told her things that I haven't told Jean. And I'm as I'm saying it, I'm like, why am I telling Franny all this? Why in the world did she become that person in that moment? Thankfully, she is that person anyway, right? But I didn't even know her well enough to make that judgment. It was because my cup was so full that it came out and and one thing I'll, I'll share with you guys this is a what do you call it a rabbit trail but it's an important rabbit trail i had a pastor who once said you know what think about your life as if you always live in a glass house because if something gets out about you <clears throat> you have to be willing to live with that. So think about your life in that way, that you always live in a glass house. Now, it doesn't mean you have to go up being, grow up, or you have to walk being super duper careful, but you have to recognize that if I share something with Diane, and Diane would not do this, so this don't, don't nobody <laughs> think that Diane would do this. <clears throat> We've been together a long time. I actually tried to count how many years you and Randy have been in class, and I couldn't count them anymore. But anyway, let's say since the beginning. Say I tell her something, you know, pretty private about myself, right? Because I'm totally comfortable with her and her husband. We don't get a lot of time to spend together. but 
And then I hear that thing repeated someplace else. Now, my natural inclination is going to be to want to distance myself from her and consider her to be unsafe. But I think the challenge is from the Lord is how am I living my life? How am I living my life? Am I living my life so that you guys only know certain things about me, right? And that's it? Or am I living my life in a way that, yes, I have foibles and I have flaws and you know I get really irritated, unfortunately, too easily on Highway 4 and you know, there are times when I get on Joe's nerves. I did just last week. Um, how am I living my life? Because for me to now distance myself from her is not necessarily a way to introduce safety. That's about protecting Leona, but that's not necessarily about living a life from a safe place and having the character like Jesus had, where he put everything out there, right? He put everything out there. So that was just a, a rabbit trail that I offer. Um, basically, it connects with everything we're saying. We've been taught really how to be successful students, right? How to be successful in many ways. There are many things that we don't actually teach but we teach how to be a good student, but we don't teach how to be emotionally mature. We don't teach how to have healthy relationships in the workplace, you know? So we have kids that have great grades, we tell them grow up, get an education, get a job, and you'll be fine. But we haven't taught them. And maybe we don't know, so it's not about blaming parents. That, that, that's not what this class is about, so don't let the enemy Get that twisted. Yes. Please. You don't know what you're thinking. You don't oh, know that's what a good you're one. Feeling half the time. That emotions are not necessarily something that should be displayed. They should only be displayed in certain measures at certain times mm-hmm. and certain places. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's something that in a Christian church, if you really trusted God, then you wouldn't be feeling these negative emotions. You should only have the positive emotions. Yes, yes, I love that. That is definitely a message that comes through loud and clear, particularly in church. Uh, in the workplace, we definitely don't take um, people who come in, um, entry-level employees, through anything that helps them deal with emotions or that helps them deal with their peer-to-peer relationships or peer-to-boss relationships. I had um, I had a very unsafe, I had a couple of unsafe boss relationships. And since then I've had some great safe boss relationships. Um, the Lord has really redeemed, uh, redeemed that. But at one point I had a female boss who was also a mom, but she penalized me because whenever I would do examples or presentations before people about their health insurance benefits and I would refer to, you know, like when a mom has to, you know, make decisions in order to take care of their child because you are the responsible adult. She penalized me. She absolutely was like, you don't talk about children. That's inappropriate. That's completely unprofessional. This woman was a mom. So you can't say that she herself was a mother, but she never talked about her child. So if I wanted to go anywhere in the organization, I needed to make sure that I cut that out. Well, That was one relationship. Another relationship was with, um, I asked the Lord to remind me of these things because I blocked them out. Um, I had another boss in another situation who smiled to your face but spoke badly about you behind your back. And then she would do things like uh, give you an assignment to do and then when you were before her and a superior, somebody who was superior to both of us, she would say that wasn't what she gave you to do. So she would undermine you in front of the leadership. Um, And at the time, I got so angry. This was, I think, my first encounter with the fact that I really did have anger. Because, you know, I was innocent. You know, I went to school. I got good grades, and now I'm working. I don't have anger issues. 
Y'all know what that is. Because uh, <laughs> life has been going my way, right? And I'm like, why do I feel like if I, if I know where this woman parks her car, I'm going to slash her tires. When I thought that, and I, I remember distinctly walking down Market Street in San Francisco and that thought going through my head, I realized I need to quit this job because if I do know where her car is, where she parks that car, I will slit her tires. That's how angry I am with this woman. I cannot believe her. I didn't know the Lord then, but I'm glad the Lord knew me because I believe he's the one that spoke to me and said, yeah, it, you, need to, you need to quit that job, find another job. <laughs> Don't stay there because <laughs> she may have been very unsafe, right? But so was I. I was entirely unsafe. Why was I unsafe? I didn't know how to handle the emotion that was coming up from the experiences I was having with this person. I didn't know that I could have maybe taken note of what her behaviors were and maybe gone to human resources. I didn't know, even though I worked in human resources, I didn't know how to do those things. And to be able to live with whatever the shakeout was, right? Because it could have shaken out her way, it could have shaken out my way. I didn't know. I was so unsafe that when I later heard that she got fired, I celebrated. <laughs> I'm just telling the truth. <laughs> I'm not saying y'all should do that. The Lord says that's not something we should do. I'm just telling you what I did. Okay, I celebrated. I was like, man. I'm glad that they finally, the partners realized that she, what she was doing. Emotional maturity is a key component of adulting. It is a key component of adulting. And most of us in this room do not know how to do it. It doesn't matter how many white hairs we have on our head. We don't know because we, as Jean pointed out, we haven't been taught. We haven't been allowed expression. Even when the expression was over the top, right? And then we could be taught how to bring it back in, right? Corral it, manage it, process it. And by manage it, I don't mean stuff it. I mean actually work through it. Because we haven't connected with it, we just assume that it should continuously, consistently stay away from who we are. And we define ourselves by our spiritual acumen. It's not enough. It's not enough. Let's look at Peter as an example of where emotional maturity and spiritual maturity may be um, at a little bit at odds, right? In Matthew 16, 23, because Peter is not connecting with what Jesus is saying about the fact that he's about to die, he rebukes the Lord. And in the verse before the one I referenced, which is verse 22, he says to the Lord, God forbid, Lord, this must not happen to you, simply because Jesus is telling them that he's going to die. But as most of us know, Jesus' response was, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me because you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Imagine being Peter. And you're trying to tell your friend, I don't know what you're talking about. You ain't dying. You ain't dying on my watch. Not today. Not ever. I don't know what you're talking about, Anne, but that's not going to happen to you. And Anne tells me, get thee behind me, Satan. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on here? And then she calls it out. Your focus, Leona, is on the things that human beings are locked into. Your focus is not on what God's purpose is. I'd be a little hurt. I'd be more than a little hurt. I'd be like seriously stung, right? Because she was direct with me. She was clear and direct. Something we are not doing as well as we ought to, speaking the truth in love. We don't recognize that as the truth in love. We recognize that today as only the truth. But Peter, as, with as much time as he had spent with Jesus, Jesus had <coughs> Peter's heart. 
He had Peter's heart. So Jesus had money in Peter's bank so he could speak to Peter that way and tell him, you know what, that's not right. What you're doing is you're giving voice to what the enemy would want me to think. We have to be really careful with our concept of what being safe is. We have to be careful with what our concept of who God is. A lot of us, and I've been through this season, think of God as being, he's a God of love, but he's also a God who is just. Well, I don't want to think about him being just right now. I'm in that season where I don't want to think about him being just. You know what? God allows that. God allows that. He allows us to have those seasons where we are passionately, emotionally engaged and enraptured in his love for us and our love for him. But he doesn't want us to ignore the rest of who he is. That's not healthy. That's not safe. And that's not truth. Right when Jesus was telling Satan off, he was also letting Peter know, hey, bud, what you just said to me is completely unsafe for my ears right now. I'm trying to muster up everything within me to face the trial ahead that Father and I agreed to before I came on the scene. I cannot afford to entertain the doubt you have just introduced to my mind. That's what Jesus was saying. I can't afford that. I can't even allow that a moment in my heart because I have something that I have to do that is greater than what it is you're looking at. The thing about it was that this is also the reason why Peter had been present when Moses and Elijah had seen Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Peter just wasn't getting it. He, his heart was like, no, Jesus ain't dying. No, no. I don't know what this is about, but Jesus is not dying. That's all he could focus on. That's all he could see. My question to you is, can you begin to spend time thinking about the Bible as you read it relationally? Can you begin to look at scripture and look at the relational components, not just the words on the page, but ask the Lord to show you the dynamics between the persons that you are reading about? How socially awkward must that have been for everyone around? What strategy of the enemy did Peter have to push away? And what thoughts do you think the other disciples had to resist in order to continue with Peter by their side? Because they obviously heard it. Peter didn't write this about himself. Matthew wrote it. And you know what I heard? I heard Jesus say, get thee behind me, Satan, to Peter. So they heard it. What were the things that were going through Peter's mind? What was going through their minds? Hey, dude, you just got called out. Now fast forward to John 18, verse 10. There are two other gospel accounts of of what I'm going to read to you in John 18. But John is the only one who, who names the person. Okay? John 18, 10 to 11. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, took it out and gave the high priest's servant a blow, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then Jesus said to Peter, put back your sword. Am I not to take the cup which my father has given me? Again, two other gospels refer to this incident, but they don't name the disciple. They say one amongst them cut off a servant's ear. John called him out. Simon Peter was the one who did it. He took out his sword. He's like, uh-uh, you ain't taking my Jesus. See, this is the third time. He's like, oh, no, uh-uh. That ain't happening not on my watch. He got called out. Here's Peter still acting on what he believed from Matthew 16. He told Jesus, it ain't happening, Jesus. You're not going to die. 
So he's still believing this, even though Jesus has openly rebuked him. He's still like, I can't reconcile with that. This is what I know. You are not going anywhere. You are king of kings. You are lord of lords. You're going to do it the way I've imagined in my mind it's supposed to work out. That's what you're going to do. That's how you're going to do it. He didn't understand why Jesus would succumb to being arrested. So he took action. And this time Jesus did not rebuke him. Peter was one of Jesus's best buds. He was always one of the three that was around Jesus, right? Peter was still unsafe for Jesus. But Jesus didn't push him away. And the only reason I can see, you read the Gospels yourself. You ask the Lord for yourself. You do the commentary work yourself. But the only reason I can see that Jesus would not have put him to the left and said, okay, we can't hang together, is because Jesus knew his identity in the Father. Jesus was fully comfortable now, not only with who he was, but also with his mission. This was, this was it. There was no turning back. You've already been through the garden. You've already sweat blood. And here they come. I'm going to fulfill what it is I've been called to fulfill. And though Peter's words and her actions are unsafe for me, I need to now focus on what needs to be safety for the rest of the disciples. And that's part of the reason why he would have healed Malchus's ear. And he tells him, take me, leave them. Sometimes they're, for lack of a better word, perfect. Mm-hmm. Use that to in my ear. Sure, it's not working. He got it. He got it. A You're one the dimension. Only other human That's being right. that walked on, on water. water for a moment. That's right. Until so he started looking around and said, Look what I'm doing. Yeah. But the others uh, never tried. The others, yeah. So, so, you know, that side of the pendulum and this side, you know. Exactly. Right in tune, right in tune. Yes. Where he should be, and then you know, and we all have those friends too, family or spouses or whatever. That yeah, they're they're in the season, in the moment, mm-hmm. right there, what mm-hmm. you need, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, the other side of it, or mm-hmm. for you, for them, and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And there's those other people that you can just count on. Yeah. And the thing about Peter is that he's most like us because there's always times when we are safe and times when we are unsafe. None of us is a thousand percent safe all the time. There's just no way. The only person who was was Jesus. And that's what I love about Peter is he really mirrors us. We like to look at the New Testament and love on Paul. We could dig up some stuff on Paul too, (laughs) right? But Peter perfectly mirrors us because there are those times when we are so spiritually in tune, right? But are we emotionally, are we emotionally mature and connected to the spiritual attunement we are walking in, right? Peter demonstrates it one more time. When the young woman in, in John, um, John 18, verse 17, or Matthew 14 and Luke 22, where the woman asks if he was one of Jesus' disciples, and he demonstrates his lack of emotional maturity by denying Jesus three times. This same man is the man that Jesus uses to preach in Acts to bring about the salvation of 3,000. This same man is the man that Jesus asked three times, do you love me? This same man is the man when Jesus rose from the grave that he said to Mary Magdalene, go tell the disciples and Peter also. 
this same man. So when we begin to look at where we are in our walk with the Lord, it is so important for us to connect with what's going on with us emotionally and to become as emotionally mature as we possibly can. There are some of us who are excellent evangelists for Christ at work. We think we're spiritually mature. There are some of us who are givers. There are some of us who are a thousand percent involved in compassion ministries in what not necessarily compassion as we call it here at church but you do acts of mercy you constantly are doing you're giving constantly pouring out of yourselves but do you know what's going on in your own heart and have you allowed the lord to step in and heal you in those places where you need emotional healing There's a writer, uh, actually he's a pastor, his name is Scazzaro, Peter Scazzaro. He says it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Because God gave us emotions. He wants us to grow them up along with what we do in terms of our spiritual disciplines. I would encourage you to ask God this question as you read the Bible. Ask the Lord how Peter reintegrated into the fellowship of apostles. Ask the Lord to show you how, how did that, what did that look like? For him to be reintegrated with the fellowship with the other apostles when he came back. And yeah, he still blew it later on with Paul. He was telling people, you know, I'm not going to eat with those folk. You know, they eat pork. They eat bacon. They eat chocolate-covered bacon. <laughs> they eat bacon-covered bacon. <laughs> they put bacon on their burgers. Now, that was after he'd been sitting with them a while. Then he, oh, those other people are coming that are going to be watching, so I'm going to excuse myself. And he was openly rebuked again, this time by Paul. So Peter is not perfect, but he was accepted by the apostles. What was it like on a heart level for them to feel safe around him? What must that have been like? I mean, let's face it, at the cross, Peter denied Jesus before the cross, but at the cross, how many disciples were there? How many of the 12 were there? Whoever said it, say it louder. Just John. So they all abandoned Jesus. They just weren't vocal about it, right? So when we look at safety, when we look at someone else's lack of safety and we look at our own, let's make sure we're filtering our, allowing the Lord to filter our hearts, allowing the Lord to be the one to examine us and weigh us and then show us the way through. Because he will. He does. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't want us to be without wholeness. He wants us whole. And that doesn't mean memorizing all the Psalms. That doesn't mean memorizing a whole book of the Bible. And yes, there are Christians who do that. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate our brothers and sisters who are part of the underground church that have no choice but to do that because they don't have a Bible. They don't have a Bible on their cell phone. They don't have a Bible they can carry. They don't have 10 Bibles at home. They just forgot to bring to church. They have to be very particular. But in that, they live life experiences and they live their lives in communities so closely that the emotional maturity issues also begin to surface and they begin to be worked out. Yes, I see that hand. <laughs> well, I'm just struck by, um, you know, there's an expression that if we don't humble ourselves, God can't humble us. He's going to humble us. Well, when all of them abandoned, that's John, mm -hmm.
Yes. Yes. Go ahead. I'm just, um, each of the <coughs> disciples, each of us, we have these emotions. I mean, obviously, Peter was, Peter had a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. You know, he was afraid that his, his best friend, um, I don't know if at that point he thought of Christ as Savior, mm-hmm. um, but this is his whole life is now saying he's going to die. I'm afraid of that. And I'm going to fight for that because out of my fear, my love rises up and acts anti what the best is from Christ's perspective. Yes. And what I appreciate most about it, when I hear the words emotional maturity, Mm -hmm. stop whining. (laughs) You know, it's like we got to grow up and we got to stop whining and and, and um, it's how do we handle our fears? Mm-hmm. How do we handle our, our disappointments? How do we handle our, and that's what Peter needed to learn best. Um, and he didn't get it perfect, like you said. You know, it, it, for me, emotional maturity is, it, am I handling what I'm given in a Christ-like way, in the best? Um, am I making Christ Christ's ways my way in that. Yeah. Thank you for that. Because that's very true. Everybody hears emotional maturity and, and they may be hearing what we heard as toddlers, right? Graciela is probably gonna hear, you know what, okay, stop. It's time for you to stop, right? Because, you know, my, my grandson is at that point where he's like he called to see me A B C and he lives in Alameda, I live in Antioch, and I could almost hear him without the phone. <laughs> he was screaming, and our grandmother was holding the phone away from her ear like this so she could hear the ABC. She's like, dude, you need to calm down. I don't know if your parents gave you sugar before you went to bed or what, but you need to bring it down if you're not. So we may think of it only in those terms, but Jean is right. It's, it's more than that. Maturing emotionally is like any kind of maturing. It's a process. And we are in this life to live a process. Only in the movies do people age backwards. (laughs) Not in real life. And as we age, hopefully, where I'm not just talking about the number, I'm talking about the fact that we grow in wisdom and knowledge increasingly. We have wisdom in our 60s we didn't have in our 40s. Hopefully, if we are maturing, sometimes we get stuck. Sometimes we put up protection and we call them walls. Sometimes we're so covered by shame or our fear or our past that we don't ever grow beyond being a child. I know some 40-year-olds that are actually still children. They're not infants. Some of them are actually toddlers emotionally because they got stuck. And from what I've learned about dealing with emotions, you can't graduate from sixth grade and all of a sudden have a PhD because you went to the altar and got prayed for. What will happen is the Lord will open up that understanding for you at the altar that you need healing, give you such a measure of healing that then you can begin to work the, walk the process out to emotionally mature, right? But it's still a process. I didn't learn how to play until I was 40, 35, 40. I didn't know what that was like. And people around me just had to tolerate it and there are times even now and I'll still be really 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 silly because I appreciate that because I wasn't I didn't have that opportunity my father passed away when I was 13 I apologize 14 so adulthood came all of a sudden now did adulthood really come or did the responsibilities of adulthood come What came, guys? 
But the emotional ability to be able to handle that didn't come. I was still the age that I was, right? So when we're dealing with people who are unsafe, and when we're dealing with ourselves and coming before the Lord, it's so critical to be honest with what you've lived through or what has happened in your life and give it to the Lord and, and ask the Lord, invite the Lord in. Lord, help me. Because you know, you of all people know I don't know. You know I don't know what it means to be an adult. And I had the nerve to marry at 19 and I was emotionally stuck at 14, you know, help me walk through this so that I can be safe for my husband. Help me walk through this so I can be safe for my employer. Help me walk through this so I can be safe for my friends. Yes. That's right. You start now where you were back then, and you, you and, it, and it takes all of that time. Uh -huh. It was such an interesting conversation. I'm like, oh, went on. I kind of stopped. It's like, okay, I got some things to do to, you know, work on this guy. But I was still denying the experience and stuff. But you know, it's it's amazing. The external stuff. You had a, a huge loss. Uh -huh. I had things added uh -huh. that I shouldn't have been doing, uh -huh. and you know. Uh -huh. Use and all this other okay. stuff is going to have these huge exactly. effects on the process of maturing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Abuse by itself will definitely arrest emotional development. Yes. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny with what Paul is saying because um, with like the emotional maturity and stuff, I think that spiritual and emotional really tie in together because at a certain point, it was like when he was using drugs, his emotional maturity stopped. Him. But I think. It's when we start protect, trying to protect ourselves from the outside world. It's when that emotional <coughs> and spiritual maturity stops. 
Like when you find yourself in that tough situation, it's just you and God. That's when that emotional and spiritual maturity is really going to grow and connect and move you on to that next level. But when you're trying to protect yourself from the outside world, as it were, because you're afraid of what might happen next, it's showing that immaturity and spiritual maturity because you don't trust him. You don't trust him. Uh, I think that's really cool what Paul's saying because that really connects. Okay, I'm going to sit down now and use the t-shirts. Because <laughs> he just summed up an example I was going to use. <laughs> Thank you. That was amazing. Yeah, um, I'm going to give my own personal example of, of really, uh, but I want to give you a concept called um, triggers or emotional allergies. Everyone around here knows somebody who has allergies, right? Is there anybody who's in this class that doesn't know anybody that has seasonal allergies or allergies of some kind? Nobody. Okay. Some of us, maybe all of us, experience them on some level or another where we get, you know, the itchy eyes or the, you know, runny nose and the clogged up sinuses or hives, right? Because we've been exposed to something. Some of us get anaphylaxis, right? Where the throat starts to close down because we've been exposed to something that does not work with our bodies. Well, we also do the same thing emotionally. We shut down emotionally whenever we're triggered by something that's an emotional allergy, right? So with Peter, as Jean pointed out, it was fear. Every time he encountered that thing of my best friend is going to die or saying that he's going to die, he had this reaction like an over-the-top over response that came out of him, right? Uh, scientists would call it, it was his amygdala, which is a part of our brain, where he was acting out of. The emotions are just like right there. I mean, I was in a building one time and... and uh, the security guard came up to me and, and my boss and immediately uh, started saying something about he was going to have us arrested and I broke down. I mean, I immediately broke down. Why? Because I saw myself in Nigeria as a child in the back of the car with uh, a police person who was abusing their power. That was emotionally where I went to. I had an emotional allergic response to this person who was accusing us of we have every right to be in the building, but just the way he came across and, and the fact that he had a baton, that just, I was in the back of the car emotionally. And my boss is like, what's going on? <laughs> I don't know what's going on with my assistant, but uh, <laughs> she's just having a meltdown. So we all kind of have these things we don't live with on the surface. They're, they're, they're deep inside. So it's important for us to be aware of them. And, and Zach pointed to that in terms of walls, right? We erect these walls and we stop. We're like, okay, this hurt me. And so I'm just going to block that off. Why well, recently this year uh, was challenged by the Lord. And I have a very good friend where the wall has been building for a long time. We actually had both become emotionally allergic to each other for various reasons. And when the Lord poked me and said, you got to deal with that, I'm like, why don't you talk to her? Why are you talking to me? And he's like, no, you have to deal with it. You have to deal with your own issues there. And so what I want you to do is you've considered this person to be unsafe, but I want you to get back in this person's space. And so I ran down my list of God, you know, I, 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 I can't be around this person because you know, I'm Pentecostal. You know, I'm one of those, I love, I love my Pentecostal heritage. Now at the same time, I am Pentecostal with reason. I, I really, my favorite teachers are Gordon Fee, who's a PhD and he, he teaches at uh, Regent University and writes a lot of theological books that nobody can argue with, and Jack Hayford, who can you know talk to you and, and explain <laughs> things at this level about how the Holy Spirit moves and people go, woo-woo. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of a combination of the woo-woo, run around the room, and the, okay, can we just talk here? What does the word say? And I want to make sure you understand what it means in the Greek first before you start telling me something, because I'm not buying everything you say. So. And she, on the other hand, is pretty fundamental. But I was creating distance with us because she didn't believe like I believed, and I thought she wouldn't receive me.
because I experienced rejection from other people. She, on the other hand, was thinking that I was trying to make her to be like me because I was so over the top with my being Pentecostal. <laughs> and she's like, I'm okay where I am, and I'm okay with you being where you are. Can we just get along? But I was doing this. It's like, okay, we can't hang. You know, you're not you're not part of my you know my dealio here. Uh, you don't like the teachers I like. You know, you don't do things I do. Um, you don't get goosebumps when I get goosebumps. Um, that was a lot of emotional immaturity. There were things that we would do. You know, we both we 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 knew each other before we got saved. Then we got saved, and I had kids first, and then I started being unable to do a lot of things we used to do together because now I'm a mom. You know, and a wife. I I can't go out. You know, when you want to go out because I got things to do. But so there was that kind of gap in understanding, and later she became a mom. But because of the age difference between our kids, we still couldn't do things together because I had teenage kids and she had a little baby, right? So we couldn't, you know, my, he, my teenage kids, he doesn't want to hang out with a two-year-old, no. That's like, no, that's not working. He wants to go play basketball, whereas the two-year-old doesn't know what he wants to do. <laughs> the two-year-old's my, the one I'm referring to is my godson, by the way. So anyway, the Lord has been pushing me and challenging me. And I was like, okay, God, I'll, I'll, I'll make some attempts to, to bring some reconciliation and healing in this relationship. But I could never fit into our schedule. So I was like, hey, you know, I tried. <laughs> the Lord said, heck no, techno, you go to keep trying until you find your way into that schedule. And I had to. How many of us are willing, and I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal because this has been very difficult. I'm not kidding you. This is not about, oh, Leona did it, so you should be able to. But we need to be willing to push through the walls. When the Lord shows us we have a wall, we have an emotional allergy to something, are we willing to do the work and allow him to speak into our life? Because when he shows that to you, it's because he's ready. He's like right there, like right there with you, going, come on, we can do this. Now's the time to work on that issue. Let's get this healed. Let's get this resolved. Let's grow you up another year or two through this process. That's what he's doing. Or three or four, exactly. Let's start this journey because this journey is going to help begin to bridge the gap between where you got stuck and where it is I need to use you in a new way. I'm telling you, one of the hardest things I've ever done is to sit there in front of somebody and to own my own stuff and to say, you know what? I was not emotionally mature to accept you. We talk about acceptance in intimate encounters, right? That's one of people's needs. I was not able to accept you as you are. I was not able to value you the way God not only made you, but the way you understand God and what you bring to the table. I was looking for sameness instead of looking for agreement. People being different, right? Coming to the table forms agreement. We don't need to be the same. If we need to be the same, God would only make one of us. So how much was I devaluing God's gift by simply telling God, you need to work it out this way so that everybody in my circle thinks like I do, does what I do, believes like I do, reads the same books, goes to the same places, enjoys the same things. I remember dragging Sue through Hobby Lobby. <laughs> that was funny. Completely funny. The two of us non-craft-oriented people in the middle of Hobby Lobby <laughs> doing something completely outside of our comfort zone, right? But being able to accept, right, where I was in the craft area of my life right now, where she was in the craft area of her life, and being able to laugh about it. I wouldn't have been able to do that seven, eight, ten years ago. I would have been waiting for the, the friend. I would have been waiting. Jean, you need to get your calendar open so that you and I can go to Hobby Lobby because Jean likes crafts, right? Because there's something I have to get for Pastor Ken. That's the only reason I'm there. No. <laughs> 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 we, 
we have to, we, we are being called as the people of God to begin to recognize when the Bible is speaking to us about people, it's not just speaking to us through the words that are present. It's also trying to paint a picture, just like Jesus would tell story. It's trying to paint a picture for us so that we can see the dynamics that are involved. So when we read the word, we read the word for the wholeness of what's going on. We interact with the Lord to kind of get a, his perspective of what was going on relationally with people. What was going on in their hearts? What might have been going on in God's heart as he was calling them to this responsibility? And what's going on with us? We're at that point where we're learning how to be safe people. And as part of being uh, a safe person, I would ask you guys to always give the other person the benefit of the doubt. Always ask what he or she needs or offer what he or she thinks or prefers. Offer. Are you thinking this? Would you prefer that over this? Recognize and take responsibility for what you are thinking and feeling. State your own beliefs and values without becoming adversarial during stressful times. Respect others without having to change them. Give others, including leaders in authority, room to make mistakes and not be perfect. People in authority are not perfect. None of them is perfect. I am not perfect just because I stand here. Let me tell you. Accept people for who they are, not just for what they give or bring to the relationship. Accurately assess our own limits. There are things that I just am not able to do or I am not best suited for. I am not best suited for Hospitality, I, I, I can be hospitable, but I am not best suited for it. There are some people in this room, and I'll give you their names, who have the gift of hospitality. Jean and Renee, hands down, they will serve you. You come into my house, take a seat, put your feet up. That's a different thing than they will serve you. Okay, they are, it's, it's, it's an overflow of who they, assess your own limitations and be okay with that. I'm totally cool with that. <laughs> I, I love it. I love, I'm loving the diversity. Assess your own strengths and weaknesses and discuss them with the appropriate persons as needed. Be emotionally in tune with the Lord and be emotionally connected with others and try to be able to step into what they are feeling and not turn it around into what you are thinking or feeling. Work on, that, that takes effort, that just takes practice. That's not something we, we get like that, it's not. It's a process. And the last thing is exercise the capacity to address conflict maturely and to negotiate solutions. I would ask you when you're having your quiet time with the Lord to ask the Lord these questions. How can I begin to be quick to hear and slow to speak? How can I be angry and not sin? How can I get rid of all bitterness, rage, and envy? How, Lord, show me. And he will. He'll give you the steps to take. He'll give you the process in the moment. He'll speak to you when you encounter that situation that you're like, okay, God, I asked you the question today, but I hadn't quite heard you. Allow yourself a moment to just breathe. Just, just breathe. Breathe in a prayer, Jesus, help me. And then do what you get in your spirit he's asking you to do. Joe will deal with this question. How can I watch my heart above all else so that my heart can be pure before you, Lord? When Joe returns, that's what we'll do.
in two weeks. Yes, exactly. We're going to have Easter next week, so there will not be class. But the week after that, um, it might actually be three weeks that Joe takes to address that. We're, we're hoping to have guest speakers here uh, on the 8th. So these are some questions that we can begin to face with the Lord on a one-on-one -on -one basis so that we can begin healing emotionally and growing and being safe. And that's the end of class.